0: real life real equity podcast with your host justin and keisha brooks hey welcome to the show our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business as real estate investors our mission is to model educate and inspire you to act by sharing easy to implement tools ideas and information to add more worth to your net worth more cash to your cash flow helping you achieve your goals in less time welcome to the show You know, I was reflecting on the progress I made over the last year, and it led me to the question. What's the one thing we can do to take our results to an even higher level? Keisha and I spend a lot of time focusing on our goals, and we typically plan our year in the fourth quarter. This year, we're going to do that by attending the One Thing Couples Goal Setting Retreat.
1: So, this retreat is going to help us establish a clear vision, set clear five year and one year goals, and then create alignment and support with the people vital to our success.
0: We wanted to share this with you because we find massive value in setting goals. This retreat is in Austin, Texas on November 9th and 10th. If you want to join, go to realliferealequity.com forward slash goals to attend the event. It's put on by The One Thing and it's going to be life changing. The one thing concept has already made a substantial impact on our life and our business.
1: And so, as you know, no one succeeds alone.
0: How powerful would it be if the people vital to your goals helped you set them and could support you in them? Again, if you're interested in setting your goals for 2020... Go to RealLifeRealEquity.com forward slash goals to attend this event. Again, the event's November 9th and 10th in Austin, Texas, and we hope to see you there.
1: Yes, see you there. All right, all
0: right. Welcome back, everybody. We are super excited about our guest today. He is a powerhouse with Property Owners Tax Savings. He is the man, the myth and the legend known as the cost segregation leader. As a business director at Madison Specs, he has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and has a passion for real estate and helping others. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause to our guest today, Mr. Thank Yona Weiss. Thank you guys. Welcome to the show, it's, my it's,
2: it's a pleasure of mine. You know, it's, I love doing podcasts and I love people who are, you know, more excited about it than I am, (laughs) which which is, uh... so I'm happy to be on with you guys. So one of the things that, just
3: in case our audience doesn't know, they're like, okay, cost segregation analysts, cost segregation, what are you talking about, Justin? What are you talking about? So before we get into what we normally do when we talk about entrepreneurship and business and the realities behind such, tell us what cost segregation is so that our audience doesn't just hang up on us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't hang up. You're going to want to stay on to the end of the call. This is probably the greatest tax, uh, income tax benefit known to man especially, you know, for real estate owners. So this is something that everyone who owns or invests in real estate, uh, especially commercial real estate, if you're a multifamily or any type of other investor, you need to know what cost segregation is. And it's a weird name. And I totally get that. And like, it's probably, you know, it's like a deterrent, like the IRS made up that name. So people wouldn't do it because it's that good. Right. It's like, well, I don't want (laughs) to do anything about segregation. Like that's keep away from that. But no, in all seriousness, it has to do with depreciation, which is in of itself a tax deduction that's given for property owners. Basically, it allows you to write off the amount of money that you spent to buy a property. You're allowed to write that entire amount off from your taxes, meaning to deduct that entire amount. So that's called depreciation. Uh, you buy a property for a million dollars. Even if you only put down 200 from, and the bank financed the rest, you get to write off as a tax write-off that million dollars, okay? Now, the only thing is you can't do it all at once. You have to take it over a 27-year period for multifamily residential or a 39-year period for commercial. And that's a long time to wait, right? You only get a little bit every year, right? A little tiny oh, yeah. time. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not tiny. It's, it's still significant. You know, a million dollars over, you know, 27 years is still about $30,000 a year, right? For 27 years. It's not bad. You get to just write that off, deduct that and not pay taxes on that amount of your income. That's awesome. But cost segregation takes it to the next level, which allows you to actually front load a nice chunk of that into the first five years and and even with the new tax reform we will get into a little bit even into the first year which uh, literally you can write off like 20% of your you know building in the first year
3: for me i'm excited because I have been learning about cost segregation analysis for the last couple of years. I think it was two years ago I went and seen Tom Walright at one of the Real Estate Guys events, and he was one of the only people that was able to break down taxes in a way that I understood. And one of the things he talked about was depreciation, rapid depreciation, cost segregation analysis, and all this stuff. So getting to talk about it here is super exciting, but we're not going to give all the details. We're going to save that for last.
1: Let's figure out, you know, the journey of, Yona, so how did you become an entrepreneur business owner?
2: So, yeah, so I'm actually not an entrepreneur business owner, which is great because I think that's just going to, totally disrupt this podcast. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> what I am is I'm think like thinking of myself as like an entrepreneur because I work for a very big company. So Madison specs is the company I work for the biggest conservation company in the country doing this in all 50 States. And because of what I do, and you know, most people, have no idea. And they just assume, you know, I you're the conservation guy, you're the expert, like you do it all by yourself. But the truth of the matter is I have a huge team working, you know, with me under me over me of, you know, operations team of a huge team of, of full-time engineers who actually do a lot of the work accountants who are doing a lot of the actual nitty gritty of the accounting and the, the conservation work. And I'm, you know, I'm the business director, which means I'm allowed, I'm able to, you know, be out there, put myself out there, and try to just influence people, try to get people to understand what this is. And really more than anything, I mean, nowadays it's about educating people. And I think that's what everyone, everyone wants. They want to do business with people that they, you know, they relate to and they Mm -hmm. can learn from, and they feel like it's something that, that they, um, they understand more. So, so I'm just disrupting that. I'm not a business owner. That's thankfully, I'm not a business owner because actually I prefer it that way. I have you know had a little bit of a try at that, and it's just I much prefer working in existing systems and seeing how I can contribute and add value and you know kind of up what's already existing and bring that to a higher level.
3: So talk to us a little bit about that because a lot of people would think the exact opposite. they'll think, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm so sick of working this nine to five. I really want to work. For Myself, By Myself, we had a previous podcast where we talked about being an entrepreneur with one of our other guests, uh, Olivier Kabuya. And he talked about being an entrepreneur, but he also ran a business. You are an entrepreneur at heart, which tells me that you are really, really good at what you do. So talk to us a little bit about when you did deviate away from kind of being the entrepreneur to more entrepreneur and why you came back.
2: So I think, you know, just understanding maybe a little more about what an entrepreneur is in general. And I think, you know, I feel like I'm an entrepreneur at heart very much. It's more about the attitude and about, I think there's some innate traits that entrepreneurs share that other people just don't have. And, and one of those traits is just kind of, you know, the inability to, to kind of sit still you're always looking for the next thing. You're always looking like, how can I, how can I grow? How can I become better? How can I do more? How can I do something differently? And you know, that comes with a lot of challenges, especially when you're you know, trying to start your own business. But I think one of the other important traits of an entrepreneur is creativity, just thinking out of the box, which for me, that's really what's, what's driven what I do. Cost segregation specifically is one of those things that very few people know about. So more than anything, you, know, you need to have someone that can explain it in a simple way and can, you know, you, give you takeaways like, now what, now what do I do about it? And that just doesn't exist so much in the world. And so especially if you're trying to deal with your accountant about it, most accountants don't spend the time with each of their clients, like walking through every little detail, you know, every step other way. So, so for me, it's that kind of drive, like, how can I do more? How can I get a, you know, just let's take this example. How can I, you know, get on more podcasts? Like, how can I spread this word even further? How can I, um, you know, help others? And that's kind of what drives me.
3: Hmm. Entrepreneurship is more about the way you perceive entrepreneurship. The attitude is the inability to sit still creativity. You hit on an earlier team, all huge factors in becoming a successful entrepreneur. And then you you said something that I want to make sure that I highlight. You said you were influenced by someone else to go on podcast. So you don't have to have all the ideas. Right. It's right. about you know really finding the people that are able to highlight what it is that you maybe don't see so easily to share with others. And, and so
1: right. You're not necessarily repeating the wheel, but you also found your niche by elaborating on cost segregation, something that you figured is not explained enough to everyone, really, especially um, investors. So you seem extremely confident from the start. Have you always been this way? You no. Know, has there been any downward spirals that you've had to come up out of just to be the confident person you are now?
2: Um, yeah, I, everyone deals with swings right and I think it's more important to to focus on what you can be and what you can become more than you know who I am or what I am and kind of get stuck in in boxes and I think that comes like the idea of entrepreneur also that kind of ties back into this like it's the idea of just like breaking out of molds you know you have to have that independence right? On the one hand and, you know, confidence, I think, you know, obviously it came a lot from, you know, my upbringing, my parents and, and, and friends and, and things like that. But you know, I was always very active, kind of a social person in general and kind of more like an extrovert. So that came in handy. I, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, something that was only natural because, Nothing's only natural. Obviously, we have to grow into things. And I I think just putting yourself out there and... Having that confidence can sometimes be overwhelming and and kind of being uncomfortable. Yeah, being uncomfortable is is part of the process, a part of the growing process. And so, yeah, I wasn't always like that. Like, I'll take just an example. Like LinkedIn is something a platform that I'm very active on, and i become known as like you know expert, you know LinkedIn guy, because <laughs> I'm, I'm active and I'm posting you know all day long and I'm adding value, whatever. But I wasn't always. That. I kind of came in as a timid person. And just trying out and learning from others and just following, you know, seeing what works. And, and then eventually you just put yourself out there, you get comfortable with it, with being uncomfortable, and then you, you just break open and, and learn, learn new things
3: right right you said it's about the upbringing you know your your parents and then your family and your friends and then learning from others talk to us a little bit about your circle because circle has a lot to do with what you become the old cliche is you are the five people you hang out with most talk to us a little bit about the importance of who you hang out with and and what that looks like to you
2: it's so important to be around people who are growing people you know who are people that and that's who i really surround myself with people that are you know interested in growth not just you know obviously success you know financially but people who are interested more on their personal growth and spiritual spiritual growth you know people have like a connection with something higher to me that that's so important so those are the kind of people that I surround myself with people that are not just successful in the Western kind of idea of money is success but people who are successful they you know have families and are people that are happy and are people who are constantly growing challenging themselves wanting to learn more and those are things that I relate to a lot and so those are the type of people that I surround myself with one of the I think main qualities that goes into that is just you know, people who care about one another you know when you have people that when you're in an environment and I'm very fortunate to have a lot of people like this in my life both in the job place and in my family and friends People who really go out of your way, you know, even if they're not family, but act like family, meaning they go out of their way to, to help and to do things and offer help. And, you know, those are the people that everyone needs in their lives. So you have to, you know, find them. Really, that's you, first you have to try to be that person. So, you know, being that is a lot easier than finding others, because once you be, try to become that, then people will gravitate, similar people will gravitate to you.
1: Yes, that's very, very true. Um, I think Justin and I can both relate to that. As well as our circle of influence, those individuals are usually, they have something common with yeah. us or they're somewhere where we're trying to go.
3: And Napoleon Hill talks about it in his book, The Laws of Success. It's the mastermind mm-hmm. principle. Who are you around most? And you know, we Keisha and I are good about trying to get around people, but even me, myself, personally, cause yeah, Keisha and I are doing this together, but there are things that I struggle with. One of the major things I struggle with is creating a solid mastermind. So, you know, you hit on it. It's really key.
1: So this is this is very interesting. You know, being a person that is, I would consider the expert with cost segregation, what led you to this path of where you are currently today in your position?
3: Yeah, I mean, like, out of all the things, cost segregation analysis, like, that. I, mean, like, I mean, like, I'm going to go, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that I say when I want to grow up, but, like, it's not, there it, it was not a, ever a case where it was cost segregation analysis.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, and, and you're totally right, and I, I also, you know, a few years ago had, you know, really the same mindset, and it was kind of more fell into my lap, the opportunity, and I, and I really just took that opportunity and ran with it and tried to become the best of what I was doing that I could possibly be and so I would I would actually venture to, to say that you know if I tried out something new and which you know I have uh, some projects going on as well that I you know would strive to do the best in that as well and you know who knows you know maybe in a, in a couple of years from now I might be the something else expert you never know it kinda came like I mentioned a, a really incredible ability to learn to study to focus and to learn new things very quickly so I could really literally pick up a book and and kind of just consume it and be able to because my background actually as a teacher uh, I spent about 15 years as a teacher and so that came about I think through that process of, of learning and being able learning in order to be able to teach and teach on a level that would you know inspire people and to give over the material you know in a simple way but at the same time Covering all the bases.
3: Enlighten me for my own edification. What did you teach? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I actually taught mostly pretty much exclusively, like religious texts, so like foreign language. like I'm fluent in in several languages. So um, right. you know Hebrew and Hebrew and Aramaic and Yiddish. these are like ancient languages that have a lot of you know Jewish texts that you know date back thousands of years that are studied daily in in great depth and i mean there's literally probably more books on on the subject than anything any other subject in the world so there's there's a lot of depth to it and that's what i spent spent years uh studying and teaching oh wow. so you probably have so a pretty deep fo- philosophy yeah very deep philosophy as well as just i mean it would be equivalent to like a like a doctorate and a law degree and like, you know, like multiple levels of that. So, because I studied, you know, Jewish law, which is extremely complex and probably more complex than most, (laughs) most any other law system that exists in the world. So, you know, I studied that in depth and taught that. So there's, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of depth to it.
1: Wow. Okay. And okay. yet you didn't become a lawyer, but you did cost segregation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, you know, I'm like the outcast. Yeah. <laughs>
3: no, so that's that's really important, and I like it. If you aren't subscribed to our newsletter, go to realliferealequity.com forward slash newsletter now. Go subscribe. This is the kind of information that we're putting out cost segregation analysis. We're going to have information on that in the newsletter coming up. For this episode, we're going to have plenty of content from uh, Yona about it in this podcast. So if you're not subscribed already, reallifeforequity.com forward slash newsletter. Go there, subscribe now. Yona, talk to us a little bit about cost segregation. Now, we're at the point in the interview where this is the meeting. This is the reason we brought you on. You broke it down briefly in the beginning. Talk to us about it in even greater depth now.
2: We talked about very basically how cost segregation is like an accelerated form of depreciation. So instead of taking your tax deductions from the property you purchased over a longer period of time, you can get a lot of them up front in a much shorter period of time. So how does that work? Now, First of all, why would you want to do that even before how it works? The main reason why you want to do that is because when you're earning money, okay? Everyone knows you have to pay income tax, right? Wrong. You're not wrong. You're not obligated to pay income tax on the, on the income that you make unless you have a tax liability, which means if you have more deductions than income, then you actually don't have to pay any tax on the income that you make. And that's really the key. That's what real estate investing allows you to do because you can create so many deductions legally, Okay, it's it's in the system, it's in the rules, you just have to know how to use it. Create so much so many deductions that all of the income that you're making, no matter how much it is, is sheltered from being taxed because you have those deductions. So you don't have the tax liability, which means your cash flow is your cash flow. It stays with you. Everything you're making is is yours to keep and allowed can use that to reinvest you can use that to continue growing that money um, as opposed to, you know, like most people, every other type of profession, basically that there is out there besides real estate, you know, you have to pay a very large tax bill. So that's why you would want to do it.
3: And so what is the typical framework for a cost segregation analysis? And what I mean is I own my own home, right? Do you run a cost Mm -hmm. segregation analysis on your primary resident? Is it specifically for a specific Amount of real estate holdings? Is it for commercial property only? Can you do this in residential? Talk to us a little bit about the dynamics of cost segregation analysis.
2: Yes. So number one, it cannot be done on your personal residence. This is you know, tax deductions of depreciation are only allowed for investment or business properties. So you know a business may not be think of themselves as a real estate. Investor per se, but they may own the building that they operate in, and they are allowed to take depreciation as well and do cost So, number one, um, not for your personal residence, unfortunately. Number two, you—it really makes sense once the purchase price is over a million dollars on a property. So for single families, small single families, it almost never makes sense just because of, you know, the cost that's involved, the amount of depreciation that you're getting already may be enough because there's not so much, income, cash flow, amount of depreciation may cover that as well. When you get to larger commercial properties that are making a lot more money and cost a lot more, the regular depreciation is not going to be enough to shelter all that income, especially when there's a lot more of it. So over a million dollars, usually it's almost a no brainer. I mean, you look at it, even a half a million dollars and up, it can be, be very beneficial and it's it's worthwhile to reach out to get a free Analysis: What we we provide, just looking at some details of the property and showing you what the potential tax savings would be. How, how it works is is pretty straightforward. There, it, it's required to have an engineering approach to it because you need, and this is all broken down in the tax code, right? The IRS has a whole guide like how to actually do cost segregation, called the Cost Segregation Audit Techniques Guide, and it goes through all of the systems and all of the the numbering system and there's like nomenclature and there's a whole, you know, you have to show, you know, pictures and you have to show a lot of, uh, background information.
3: I don't know about you, but that's not something that I'm interested in doing at all.
2: I mean, well, listen, if you, for some people like it, it's really something that they might find interest in if they're, you know, like for example, have insomnia and they want something to keep them, you know, get them, put them to sleep at night. Like they'll, they'll definitely check it out. You know, it's it's something yeah, that right. can. Uh, no, but no, I totally agree with you. It's, it's 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 like 600 pages long, and it's only, you know, I mean, it's tax code. So even most accountants, I'd say the majority of accountants have no idea what concentration is because it's yeah. just like one tiny thing in the tax code that nobody can know everything. Nobody can know, not any accountant can know every single nuance. So there are those that specialize in real estate and those accountants usually know conservation. Nevertheless, they still need to use an engineering firm uh, like ours in order to actually do the study because the engineer will come down and how just, here's the mechanics of how it works. The engineer comes to the property and takes a full study, a full survey of measuring and taking pictures and seeing what fits into different depreciation lives. So the main structure of the building depreciates or has a tax life of 27 and a half years. But there are other things in the building that depreciate on a five-year schedule. Those are things like personal property. And that can include stuff like the, you know, furniture, fixtures, appliances, carpeting, special purpose lighting, cabinetry, you know, so many things that go into a property that you may not even think that's not personal property, you know, carpet's not personal, it's not movable, but it is, it's considered that and depreciates on a five-year schedule. So all of that, once you add all of that up, like how much square footage of all that stuff is, how many exist, how much does that co- each each square footage cost, and do calculations based on, you know, when it was built, et cetera, there's a, a cost, that's segregated out, so to speak, right? That cost, that value of those items are now put into a different depreciation life, meaning you can now take those tax deductions over a much shorter period of time. I mean,
3: Yeah, boy,
2: a, I mean, yeah, would, yeah. It's a lot. And I
3: mean, so understanding cost segregation at a very high level, like by no means am I claiming to be an expert. I just know what it is. But every time I talk to somebody, they say it needs to be a really high value dollar piece of real estate because it's cost prohibitive to do it for anything less than a million dollars. And I always go to why it seems like there's so many things to write off or to depreciate in a, in a property. Why does it have to be at a million in order? I mean, what are the, the number dynamics to that? What is, what makes it that kind of barrier to entry for a half a million dollars when, you know, I could live in a four or $500,000 house and, and I think I have enough personal property to depreciate. You know what I mean? Right.
2: Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It ends up being a percentage. So let's just take a a perfect example and you'll see the numbers and you'll see how it works and you'll realize very quickly, you know, why that may be cost prohibitive of that. So let's take a, let's take a million dollar property. Okay. A million dollar property, You buy it. Not that it's worth that, but that's how much you paid for it because how much you're depreciating is based on what you paid for it, not even what it's worth. So you may have a bill that's worth $10 million, but you bought it discounted for $5 million. that's what your depreciation is going to be, the $5 million. So let's say the property you bought for, for let's, let's say the number is $1 million, pretty easy round number. Well, the first thing we do is we have to allocate a certain amount to land, because land does not depreciate. So the land is gonna be 15%, let's say 20%. Let's say that, let's just say it's 15%. So what we're left over is $850,000, right? Taking off 15%, 150,000 for that million dollar property. What you're left with is 850,000, very simple math. Divide that by 27 and a half years for a residential property, multifamily, you're left with about $30,000 over that 27 year period, which means that's your $30,000 depreciation. Okay. Now that's the straight line. That's what you would have anyways from that yeah. property. Okay. Now let's say we do cost segregation and we're able to allocate 20% of that building to a five year schedule. And that's, you know, pretty, that's pretty good. I'd say average is about, you know, 20%, say 15% maybe, but let's say 20% let's just keep it, just keep it interesting. Okay. So 20% of $850,000 is $170,000. Okay, 170,000. We're going to be taking those extra deductions over the first five years. Meaning, every year, instead of a $30,000 tax write-off, instead of that, we're going to add on extra $170,000. We're going to have an extra about five uh, $30,000, $34,000 every year. So let's just think about this. Let's say your million-dollar property produces income of. I don't know, what's a good income you're making, NOI, for a million-dollar property?
3: Let's just say 15%. That's a good, easy, (laughs) realistic number.
2: Okay, yeah, let's say you're making uh, 10%, you're making $100,000 NOI, right? Right. For a million-dollar property. So your regular depreciation would have knocked off $30,000 from that, which means you're going to – be paying taxes on $70,000. Comes cost segregation and adds an extra $35,000 in there. So you're knocking off 65,000. You're only left with $35,000 of, of taxable income. So meaning you're making a hundred grand, but you're only going to be taxed on 35,000 of it. Now, if your tax rate is, let's say you know, 25%, let's just keep it simple. So instead of paying $25,000 on that $100,000 income, you're only going to be paying taxes on $35,000, right? Which right. ends up being about $9,000, right? About eight and a half, nine thousand dollars $9,000. That's how much you're going to... Instead of $25,000, you are going to be paying 9000 That's That's what cost segregation does on a 1000000 million property, wow. okay? Um, which means, if you think about it practically in a net present value, meaning an actual money in your pocket, you're basically saving... Um, instead of paying $25,000, only paying $9,000, you're basically saving $14,000 in your pocket of your own money. Now it ends up being a lot more than that because you, you know, the time value of money that having more money now means you can reinvest that money. You can, um, besides for inflation, you can use that money to do more with. So there's actually more value to it, but just keeping it simple, that's the actual amount. Now it can even get better than that if you do what's called bonus depreciation, which means you can actually take the entire amount in the first year. So which means your $100,000 income is going to be down to zero for the first year because you're taking $170,000 of extra deductions. You're left with a negative $70,000 balance or a negative $100,000 balance even. So what, so that's, you know, you're not paying any taxes whatsoever. That makes sense in a million dollar property. Let's just cut it in half, right? Let's just take it even less. Let's take it on a, just to make it more realistic. Okay. Sure. More tangible. If sure. you now to do a conservation study, there's a fee involved. I mean, we usually charge about four or $5,000 for, you know, a, a multifamily property about that size based on the scope of work not at all based on the tax contingency. So again, you're paying $5,000 to get a $9,000 tax benefit this year, again, over the next five years, it's really more like a, you know, a $50,000 tax benefit. So that, that makes sense. That's worth it. But let's say you have the same property, but the same property, but you bought it for a hundred thousand dollars instead of a million dollars. So you just take everything, cut it down by 10%. You know, you're looking at getting a tax benefit of $5,000 over the next five years, right as opposed to fifty thousand dollars so to pay five thousand dollars to get a tax benefit of five thousand dollars is kind of a wash right you're, you're just like right. you're not really doing anything it's true that you can reallocate and you can take those extra deductions but in the end of the day you're not you know there's not so much income coming in the first place you know it's much smaller scale to actually get those tax deductions you know Get an extra twenty thousand dollars of tax deduction in the first year. You're going to be saving five thousand dollars in taxes. So again, to pay five thousand to save five thousand, it doesn't really make sense. That's,
3: right. That, and that's an excellent description of of what what I was looking for. It, well,
2: the bigger the fish, I guess the harder
3: exactly. the treasure.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. If you're buying a million dollar property. To buy a ten million dollar property is not that much more meaning you're anyways, a lot of people are, you know, financing 80% of it or 75% of it from the bank. You have an, uh, you know, a few investors involved. It's, it's not so far off.
3: Right. But I want to, I want to hit on that because it has a lot to do with mindset and I am guilty of it myself. When you say to go from a million dollars to million dollar property to a $10 million property, five years ago, you would have, I would have been like, you're crazy. There's no way going from a million to 10 million is one, not that big of a jump, quote unquote, and then two, a lot of people tell me just how much easier it is because I haven't done a $10 million project yet. But as I look at the numbers and the economies of scale that are present in just the million, $2 million project, you can see that if you had a $10 million project, it allows for a lot more one cushion and a lot more help, which makes things easier, leveraging people's skills like what you just talked about having a cost segregation analysis on uh, um engineer on your team yeah you know having a good cpa versus a mediocre cpa having <laughs> an excellent lawyer versus having just an okay lawyer or legal zoom, you know it allows for more so i, I want to thank you for highlighting that because i wanted to make sure that you know i i just admit fully that i have been guilty of the idea that going from a million to ten million is totally far-fetched right before we get off, let's go into some of the realities behind your job, behind the con-segregation world, maybe some of the difficulties you've had, and then three, like, golden nuggets she would give to our audience to help them, one, not only overcome some of those challenges that you may have faced, but, you know, just some stuff to kind of give them to go into the into the sunlight with.
2: I mean, every job comes with its challenges. I would say probably the biggest challenge that I face and I think everyone's facing it and I'm trying to deal with it is time we only have yeah. everyone has a limited limit amount of time in the day in the week in the month and you know my one of my biggest problems is actually you know and and so my biggest challenge is, is really your know, problem is comes from myself which is getting the systems in place to be productive Right? Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a lot of challenges, you know, just being productive because, you know, you can be doing so much busy work and, you know, just give a perfect example. Like there, because we're such a big company, um, we have a lot, there's a lot going on. Like there's certain, uh, systems that have been put in place over the years with the company and, you know, on a bigger scale that everyone kind of has to follow just to make the whole system run effectively right but everyone's kind of bound to that and I'm more of an entrepreneur I you know I'd love to do whatever works for me to do those busy work right or to do some stuff that that I don't necessarily like to do you know being able to delegate that and I recently hired an assistant just to be able to help me with some of just being able to delegate some of that more busy work that has been really a game changer for me but that's my biggest challenge
3: okay and that and that hit on a lot of the solutions also you said figuring out being busy versus being productive
1: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and then delegation you know i think that's a big one that a lot of entrepreneurs face we end up having this list that we're going through every single week we struggle with it (laughs) we struggle with it but if you just delegate those tasks to the right person that is already aware of how to fix it then that takes the load off of you so that you can focus more on exactly what needs to be done. And it goes back to
3: having a great team. It really does. So you hit on delegation being one of the golden nuggets. I'm going to take that and run with it. What are two other things that we can give to our audience to help them go along on their intra or entrepreneurship journey?
2: I think a lot of people underestimate the power of social media and personal branding. And I mean, I've been, I'm like the poster child at this point for, you know, for the (laughs) success of, of social media and personal branding that people, you know, can really get to know you if you put yourself out there. And literally people have told me, you know, like, I feel like I know you when I've barely spoken to the person, never met them face to face, but I believe them because I share a lot of my story. I share a lot. I, I you know, I come off on a video occasionally, you know, I come off people listening on podcast like this and they hear a little more about you putting yourself out there and using, utilizing social media for that benefit for that personal branding and using it in the right ways can be literally a game changer in uh, a business you hit it, social media and
3: personal branding. And I've watched it. Like I remember when I, I don't even know when you got started on LinkedIn, but I, I watched some of the, the progressions of your LinkedIn journey and just seeing, and I was like, Oh my God, this guy a the call segregation analysis expert. And <laughs> you know, I, I just, I assume cause I only see, you only see so much, but right. you also see the power of social media. Cause I'm just like, Oh my God, I really need to talk to this guy because I want to understand cost segregation more. And I see you going to town, to town, to town, talking to people that are other influencers in our community and just, I'm like, I gotta talk to that guy. So when you talk, you reached out to Keisha,
2: <laughs>
3: I was like, yes, yes, I wanna <laughs> talk to him because I have wanted to know about cost segregation for forever. Yeah, So the yeah. excitement was really high that day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway.
1: No, personal branding, though, is something that is huge when it comes to linking it in with social media, but just also the way you market yourself. That is just so important, especially now, because everything is
2: at your fingertips. So,
3: yeah. so before we go, give us your information, whatever information you want to give us.
2: You can email uh, ywife.com First letter, first name, last name, W-I-S-S at madisonspecs.com. That's my best email. Again, check me out on LinkedIn. That's where you're going to find me. And, you know, or BiggerPockets, another great platform I'm very active on. That's, the, you know, that's the best way to connect. All right. So if you want to get a hold of Yona Weiss or reach out to him by email
3: at yweiss at madisonspecs.com or check him out on LinkedIn. Like We talked a lot about it. LinkedIn is a hot platform. That's where I first seen them. I don't see them on Facebook very often. I've seen you on Facebook a couple of times, but I always see you on LinkedIn.
2: Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com. Or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.